0: From the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association, hello and welcome to online version number 18 of Grapevine. Officially entitled Volume 40, Number 30, and recorded on the 24th of July 2020. In this week's news, sad news of a double death in Galston, the Broad's Boatyards are running out of boats... How to make a bit of money on the side by renting out your driveway. And has a mad hatter beamed at Lucy in Galston? <laughs> Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader Disney, who's joined by some family members giving their impressions of lockdown. However, let's start with the first part of the news.
1: Hello, it's Desna here again to read this week's news and I'm also hoping to hear from a few other people who will be telling us what life has been like for them over the past few months. From the beginning of March, when life was fairly normal, through lockdown and now as things begin to ease and start to happen again, but not necessarily in the same way, they have more to tell us. But first of all, some news. We haven't got enough boats. Broads, day trip and holiday demand booms. Summer is now in full swing on the Norfolk Broads as boat and holiday operators see such a surge in visitors that there are not enough boats. Phones have been ringing off the hook, joined by a boom in online bookings at boatyards and providers all along the Broads. The tourist destination has always proved popular in the summer, but the area is seeing more local custom following a government announcement on July the 4th, allowing boat owners and hirers to stay overnight. Weeks before, the Broads had seen an increase in day visitors, resulting in operators heading into their usually busy summer period with confidence. James Knight, Managing Director of Waveney River Centre at Borough St Peter, said the business had been inundated with requests for the last seven weeks. Mr. Knight, who is also a director of Norfolk Broad Tours in Wroxham, said they had had to reinvent everything they've ever done for safety reasons, but said some of the processes could stay post coronavirus. He said, We've always prided ourselves on customer services and a friendly face, but at the moment, That is the last thing you want. In both businesses, we have far more demand than we can fulfil, which is great. But we spend most of our time saying, sorry, we're full. We're trying to forget the horrors of lockdown in terms of the loss of income. We're looking forward toward and maximising what we do. We cannot sell the same holiday twice. We can only work with what we've got. At Barnes Brink Craft in Wroxham, its website has almost imploded since being able to resume business. Sarah Thwaites, marketing manager at Barnes Brink Craft said, We haven't got nearly enough boats to meet current demand. People are enjoying the weather and booking early, especially for weekends. It's lovely to see people bringing their canoes, boards and wetsuits with them. And I believe companies hiring out bikes Dinghies, kayaks and paddle boards are also doing very well this year, which is lovely to see. Further down the broads at Ludham, Swallowtail Boatyard has also had to turn custom away, due to the strength of demand. Along at Sutton Stathe the boatyard says the busy period will help them recoup profits. A spokesperson for Sutton boat Boatyard said, we're completely swamped. The number of people who have rung up today to ask if we have any boats available is very high. But no, we're completely fully booked. It's wonderful, really, because it will help us to recoup some of the losses from the last few months. It's really great news for us. The woman who died in Gulston Galston flat was the mum of two who worked at Wetherspoon's. Emergency services were called amid concerns for the safety of the lady and officers forced entry to her home in Oxford Avenue on Tuesday July 21st at around 7.30pm. Once inside they found the bodies of Alex Mills, 33, and a man in his 30s who were both pronounced dead at the scene. A neighbour said she had had to vacate her home below because of worries about gas. Miss Mills was named locally as one of the victims. It is understood she died alongside her boyfriend, Raj. Friends who lived nearby said the couple had been in a relationship for around five years and had met on an internet dating site. Having become more serious in the last two years, they were looking to move in together and get married. One woman said Miss Mills had lost several stone in weight at a local slimming club and had supported her through some tough times. She said she worked as a barmaid at J.D. Weatherspoon's the troll cart in Great Yarmouth before the lockdown and would have been well known in the area as well as at Lydia Eva Court, a care home in Galston, which specializes in looking after people with dementia. Paying tribute, a friend who asked not to be named, described her as a bubbly, friendly woman who would always say hello to people. I'm shocked and really numb, she said. She said she and Miss Mills had been really close friends. Miss Mills had two young daughters who did not live with her but visited regularly, she added. As forensic teams descended on the property on Wednesday, July 22nd, friends began leaving flowers at the scene and sharing their shock and upset. Police have since said the deaths are unexplained but there are no suspicious circumstances. I've done my share. Vernon, 81, calls time on electrical shop after 52 years in business. The owner of a well-known electrical store is closing its doors after 52 years in business. Vernon Morris opened the doors of Bargain Buy in King Street, Great Yarmouth, in 1968 and has been keeping customers plugged in ever since. Mr. Morris began spending more time in his garden after lockdown measures were put in place in March, and after enjoying the respite, he decided now was the best time to close his beloved shop. Bargain Buy opened its doors in 1968 after Mr. Morris learned how to repair transformers with his father. After that, I taught myself how to fix transistors and that brought a lot of work to the shop, he said. As technology evolved, his services weren't needed as much. Instead, he began to focus on retail and prided himself on selling things nobody else does, not even the bigger stores. While Mr Morris enjoyed his time managing the store and stated it earned him a good living for 50 years, he doesn't think he'll miss it. I've helped the people of Great Yarmouth for over 50 years. I've done my share, he said. Mr Morris plans to sell his remaining stock on eBay and at car boot sales over the next year at giveaway prices. With the proceeds... He plans on treating himself to a flashy new phone. In retirement, Mr Morris's granddaughter will be moving in with him to keep him company. He also plans to enjoy himself pottering about the garden to remain active. I'll be dancing in the moonlight, he said. An unholy mess. Social club reopens despite legal challenge from community centre. Caister Social Club reopened to members on Monday, July the 13th, with Charmaine Ray Banwell hailing the night a huge success. But the reopening follows further disputes between the Social Club and Caister Community Association, CCA, with the latter giving the club a date to pay outstanding fees and vacate the premises or face potential legal action. The groups are separate entities and the CCA has claimed the social club is insolvent after the fallout of coronavirus and must dissolve in order to protect the charity's assets. However, it has said it is not aware of any legal row with the social club. It said the club has been asked to pay money owed and given notice that the space they hired will no longer be available to them after a two-month notice. If the club would like to engage the services of a solicitor to explain this to them, it could hasten the centre reopening to the public. Nevertheless, tension between the two entities is growing, with the social club hosting a meeting of CCA members on Friday, July the 10th, to elect seven new CCA trustee members to add to the five members currently on the board. Club chairman, Mr. Banwell, said the meeting was designed to reinstate a functioning committee after decisions made by the currently non-quarate committee were legitimate. Mr. Banwell said, as far as the social club is concerned, these new trustees voted in around 150 members of the charity are perfectly legitimate members on the CCA committee. We asked them if the Social Club could reopen on Monday after the meeting on Friday and they said yes, so we opened in line with the advice the seven new trustees issued to us. But the current CCA committee declared the vote void and published a statement in response. The chair of the CCA, Louisa Marriott, said I and my committee hope this clarifies this issue of voting. Any vote taken is null and void and has no effect on the legitimate CCA committee. We have many positive plans going forward and trust we have the village's support when the time comes that the Caister Community Centre is able to fully open again. The centre also added in a Facebook post that it was fake news to suggest the club managed Caster Community Centre or had the power to exclusively vote in new trustees when they have only ever rented 18 inches around the bar and or cellar storage space. After the meeting, the CCA committee, as it existed before the vote, published a solicitor's letter explaining the relationship between the club and association on Facebook. It said, the club has no authority over the association or its property. And so the club's meeting on July 10th will have no legal effect. The club owes the association in excess of £40,000 and the management committee has a collective legal duty to protect the assets of the association. Mr Banwell, however, said the CCA's constitution outlined the Social Club must pay money owed by October the 31st, not before, and so disputed that the payments they owed were overdue. He said the vote taken on Friday by CCA members who according to the Constitution as we interpret it, have the final say. The vote should therefore stand. And we implore the rest of the CCA committee to accept it. This thing is an unholy mess. And since it's becoming increasingly clear, the dispute will only be resolved through civil arbitration. We've hired a solicitor. In a statement posted to Facebook, the social club said, the matter will not be decided on Facebook or any other media platform. It will be settled in a civil court. It left claw marks on my neck. Woman bitten and her dog mauled by off-lead bull mastiff. A woman whose pet was mauled by an off-lead bull mastiff, while out walking, Hope's police will make an example of the attack by prosecuting the dog's owner. Lindsay Colbert was walking her samoyed called Yogi near the Marrams in Hemsby with her mum last Friday, July the 17th at 8.40pm when her pet was attacked by a bull mastiff. She said the dog wasn't on a lead and came sprinting over to my dog from 70 feet away. It then began biting Yogi and clawing at his neck. There were three of us, me, my mum and the owner, trying to prise him off for about a minute before the bull mastiff eventually yielded. I had to go to hospital with seven puncture wounds and there were claw marks on my neck. But luckily our Samoyed was fine. He was shaken up, but the vet said he was saved by his fluff which is so bushy the other dog's teeth hadn't been able to penetrate very far. According to Norfolk Police, the owner of the offending dog was also bitten and an investigation is taking place following the attack. Mr Colbert's partner, Matthew Kelly, said he really hoped the police would take action. He said they seemed to suggest this might be a civil issue but that owner should be punished for not being able to control their pet. If that had been a child the dog had gone after, I truly think they would have been maimed for life. Great Yarmouth Borough Council between 2015 and April 2020 destroyed 14 dangerous dogs more than any other council in Norfolk. In response to the attack on Friday, Hemsby Lifeboat issued a statement after they dressed Miss Colbert's wounds on the site. The crew had been meeting down at the station and received the call for help from Miss Colbert's partner. They treated her injuries and advised her to seek further medical attention, stressing that all dogs must be kept under control when walking on the beach. The plea to keep dogs on a lead has been echoed by Sylvia Veal whose husband was attacked by a similar breed of dog in Hemsby last October. She said, We have a chalet in Hemsby, and this incident just made us totally wary about taking our dog out in the area. This is a light-hearted piece about teacups and tea plates. People are stumped as more and more random teacups appear on an A47 roundabout. A previously uncelebrated roundabout has become the focus of a bizarre crockery bombing phenomenon that is dividing locals. Some regard the mystery appearance of teacups on the traffic calming circle close to Galston's James Paget University Hospital as a hindrance or distraction likely to attract vandals, whereas for others it's a bit of fun started by someone with a good sense of humour, looking to create something pretty cool. But whatever the reason for the unofficial display, Highways England has declared it has to go. According to varying reports, a single mug or teacup sat on its own for some time, but has been added to in the last few weeks. A teapot has now appeared and there have been sightings of plates at another nearby roundabout. No one is sure if one person is behind the explosion of China or if others have decided to join in. Locals have been quick to draw inspiration from the unusual installation, renaming it Mad Hatters Roundabout and Mug Island. Is this anywhere near a tea junction? One person quipped, One woman who lives nearby said, It started with two that sat there for a couple of weeks, and then in the last week the pile just grew. Must be about 20 now that appeared in five days. She added, I think it is a bit of fun, and certainly makes the roundabout more interesting, as there is no planting. However, I can see that people crossing to put them on there is a hazard a Highways England spokesman said, We're as puzzled as everyone else about the mysterious appearance of the teacups at this Galston roundabout on the A47. However, placing the teacups on a busy roundabout is dangerous, and not just for the perpetrator, but also for the drivers using the roundabout and our on-road teams who have to remove them.
0: Thanks, Desney. More news shortly, but first, Desney chats to Bex and Gemma over their experiences during lockdown.
1: So, I've got Becky with me now, and she's going to be one of the first to tell you what she's been doing. This is her Covid journey. So, about March the 1st, what were you doing then, Bex? <laughs>
2: uh... I was in college, just studying for AS levels, which was still on at the time. So actually, oh yeah, so you were right. due
1: to do some exams. Yeah. So and then what happened?
2: And then, I mean, I just did nothing. So I just thought, oh, you know, two weeks off, be nice, little sc- break from school, catch up for some work I'd done behind. But then obviously it was a bit longer than that.
1: It was a bit longer than that. So it started off really just around your birthday didn't it yeah and just as you'd had a new dog as well
2: yeah so my birthday was the 22nd of march and then 23rd was lockdown it was announced on the 23rd i think
1: certainly uh, that was the first day that everyone was supposed to stay at home wasn't it yeah so then no more college
2: no no friends It
1: was alright. No exams, yeah, no No friends. No exams
2: though, I mean that was announced a little bit later, but yeah, that was quite... I don't know if I... Oh, I was a bit annoyed that there was no exams, but I wasn't devastated about it. It's
1: alright. Yeah. So then when things got easier, what changed again? Well, I mean, saw friends from a socially distanced
2: distance, I suppose. (laughs) Apart from that, not much really, haven't really gone out too much obviously college isn't back on it's summer now so not till next year so it's all a bit it's just been like a long summer really but a boring um, summer, <laughs> so.
1: a boring long summer because you couldn't do all the things that you usually do like what do you usually like to do
2: i mean i mean just go out really just do probably a few parties maybe would have been nice
1: well parties were certainly off the yeah
2: it's off, off, the, off the agenda yeah and um was supposed shopping to, yeah i mean i Nah, I could do without. I'm not really that fussed. <laughs> Save supposed, money. Yeah, true. I was supposed to go to a summer school and obviously that was cancelled online through like Zooms and stuff. So a bit annoying, but it's alright. So you
1: had no life. proper lessons, but you had lots of stuff to do. And yeah. you couldn't travel to Oxford, so they had to go online and talk to you.
2: Yeah, yeah but all virtually. Microphones, obviously technical difficulties difficulties weren't great in that situation but you know got through it so it's fine it wasn't really that big a deal <laughs> and
1: yeah. so what do you think is gonna be normal now
2: i mean things are for most people things are getting back to the way they were i mean obviously still you know wear a mask obviously don't be stump wear a mask but other than that i mean keep your distance and don't be i mean be precautious i think
1: you know. should be alright.
2: Yeah, everyone just got to be aware. Aware,
1: aware. yeah, aware. good word. Cautious. Thanks, Bex, it's thanks right. very much. Gemma is a teacher, and I want to know about your lockdown story, Gemma. What happened? What were you doing around about March the 1st?
3: I think I was at Butlins with my friends, thinking, I wonder if I should
1: actually be at Butlins.
3: There's a lot of people here. Uh, this is weird ah, i so worried about what's going to happen
1: so you were thinking about COVID even then were you?
3: yes
1: mm.
3: I remember thinking about it at the beginning of March because um, things had already sanitizer and stuff had already started going out and it was all the wash your hands stuff had already started coming up and I was thinking then uh, but everyone was saying there's no way schools are going to shut or anything that would just be too ridiculous there's no way that could ever possibly happen in anybody's wildest dreams i remember that well, i remember that because obviously that's something i had to think about as
1: assistant head so two or three weeks later jim the teacher what happened then well they announced that on the
3: 23rd everything would be shut and we had about a week to completely change all our plans and get school sorted for only having vulnerable children in. We had to do risk assessments on all the staff and risk assessments on all the children and speak speak to parents about who would still need childcare but not child well, felt like childcare really, who would still need their children to be in school because they had to go to work. What sort of education provision we could offer a fraction of the children that were coming in from nursery up to year six. How different that would be for us as a three reformatory school with over 500 children suddenly going down to 22 from the year three years old to 11 years old It was quite a big change and thing to get your head around
1: and i suppose you must have had staff who had to shield or
3: yeah we had a we had quite a few staff who if they didn't have to shield and they were living with someone who had to shield mm. so that stopped them from being able to work but we had a lot of people who still were willing and wanted to come in so we were able to set up a rotor for that so weren't didn't have to no one had to feel any pressure about coming in at all which was which we were really lucky with and
1: you all worked right through the easter holidays didn't you you may not have all had to come in every day but you didn't stop working you didn't have a holiday did you well really
3: first time since i was a student that i worked easter very strange
1: (laughs) Very strange, yeah. (laughs) 20 years and never worked in the holidays.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, not at my desk (laughs) now.
1: So now then the pressure has got a bit more because you're all going back in September. So what sort of thing has that caused?
3: A replan, but then um, obviously we had already welcomed back some year from nursery children, reception children, year one children and year six children. So we've already had bubbles of those year groups and we were able to offer short term bubbles of the other year groups just to get them back in to touch base with them. And then for September obviously we've had to plan a whole whole school bubbling system which is quite tricky to get your head around but we feel quite confident with what we've put in place for shielding and if one bubble has to, if something happens with one bubble we can still keep running the rest of the school because they would have all been separate and things like that so it's just really planning and trying to think of what questions might have and how we can reassure parents and all those sorts of things and then there's also obviously planning all this finishing work today and thinking gosh anything could have changed in the summer yes Yes. So, you know, we've spent a long doing the risk assessment, doing the appendums to all our different policies, making sure that they all follow and fit in with what we've got planned. And then I've got to make sure, you know, if something changes that we
1: can adapt our plan to suit it. It's a bit of a, hmm, we don't know what's going on, isn't it, really? The other problem was that,
3: obviously, we found out of it. We, school, found out about any changes, as the public did. Yeah. So, you know, there'd be a news briefing, 5 o'clock the day before, and at half past 8 the next morning, we'd be getting phone calls from people saying, what are you doing about, what are you doing about, blah, blah, blah. And you'd be like, mate, I haven't had a chance to write the paperwork yet. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to breathe. As soon as we know and have worked it out, we'll let you know. But literally, you found out when we found
1: out, so so how did the children react to all this
3: do you know what the children have been amazing really amazing and um, we were worried that they wouldn't be but actually you know they're really keen and happy to wash their hands they're really okay about staying away from each other and about um you know not not playing those tactile games that they would have played it's they've been yeah well they never cease to surprise you do they children but they have been pretty amazing yeah
1: but little ones do like to touch each other but and even, hug each other. and
3: it, Yeah, we were really worried about nursery and reception, but again, they just, they know that there's a nasty German and the way to stop it is to keep your hands washed and to, you know, play differently, to be different. And they are, and they're taking it in their stride and being really quite cool and unique
1: about and it. And this is obviously a thing that they're doing at home as well, because it, it is... Uh, country-wide thing well yeah, it's, it's, very it's embedded, not just nationwide it? it's yeah. worldwide but yeah
3: it's very embedded in everything yeah and yeah we were really worried especially about having nursery children and how would you stop nursery children but um no they've they've really been like really good really is really surprisingly good
1: and how do you feel about the changes that are going on now outside school with more shops opening and cinemas fair, and i
3: went to the um seafront the other day and i was too scared to walk down there <laughs> because i've been so used to isolating making sure i stay away from people making sure that i keep my distance but going down the seafront and seeing <laughs> all those people in one place i found really quite yeah. odd and i didn't like it
1: so it's not not ordinary anymore no. this time last year that was just very ordinary yeah yeah yeah. and now very different yeah. okay thank and also, you.
3: of course i had to miss you <laughs> You've only just joined my bubble. Yeah,
1: we became a bubble and that was yeah. about four
3: or five weeks ago. I can't remember yeah, now. But obviously we went for a good couple of months mm, without each other. So that was weird. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much.
0: Do you know, it's amazing how optimistic people are about how we'll go forward. OK, it's time for some more news.
1: Driveway rentals surge by 285%. Amid staycation boom in Great Yarmouth. The town has seen a surge in driveway rentals as lockdown has eased and trippers head to the coast. According to data supplied by online rental platform yourparkingspace.co.uk, Great Yarmouth has seen the fifth biggest increase fueled by staycation trippers looking to holiday closer to home. It comes as Great Yarmouth Borough Council has revealed it is looking to rent out spaces on the unused section of Beach Coach Station. According to the parking site, which advertises prime spots to those looking for them, demand is up by 285% in the town and income for homeowners Hiring out their driveways stands at an average £53 a month. There are currently 10 spaces listed in Yarmouth with charges ranging from £150 a month for a space in Boundary Road to £20 to park at Tesco in Caister. A space in Jury Street, a stone's throw from Beach Coach Station, is being advertised at £118.75 and pence a month, or £4.00 for an hour and a half. The advert notes the town has limited parking due to permit restrictions. It says, this spot is ideal if you're staying in the area or at one of the many luxurious guest houses in the area. There are several bus stops, and eater is in the area within walking distance, people reviewing the space, said it was good value and in a prime location, close to tourism hotspots. The only downside being it was a very narrow street. Harrison Woods, managing director of yourparkingspace.co.uk said, We're seeing a massive increase in rented driveway bookings in seaside towns as Brits return to the coast following a relaxation in lockdown rules. Brighton tops the coastal earnings chart with driveway owners making £162 per month on average, followed by Bournemouth and Worthing, where residents make an average £92 and £78, respectively. A spokesman for Great Yarmouth Borough Council said, We are currently seeking expressions of interest for additional car parking space in the currently unused sections of Beach Road coach station. At present, there is no information on fees as due to the current COVID-19 situation, the advert has yet to be progressed further. Well, that seems like a good way for some people to be earning a bit of extra money, doesn't it? And the next news item is about Hemsby erosion. Defence's bid for erosion hotspot reaches a crucial stage. A bid to bring medium-term sea defences to a vulnerable stretch of coast has taken an important and positive step forward. Great Yarmouth Borough Council says it is in the process of taking on a technical consultant to work up a scheme for a rock berm at Hemsby. A 1,300 metre linear defence at the foot of crumbling dunes is considered the best and most affordable way to protect some 75 properties said to be at risk over the next 20 years. It will likely stretch 400 metres north of the main beach entrance and overlap the gabions at Scrapby to the south. But the structure is only being tipped as an interim measure to take the sting out of erosion problems along the stretch where two years ago Thirteen shallows were torn down in the wake of the beast from the east. James Bensley, Borough Councillor for Hemsby, said he welcomed the progress bid, but added, I personally will not be happy until we get groins. Penny Carpenter, Chairman of the Environment Committee, said Hemsby was at the front line of climate change impacts and that the authority was working closely with Coastal Partnership East. She said the Borough Council through Coastal Partnership East has continued to engage with the Hemsby community to explore potential options for responding to coastal change at Hemsby following the findings of the Council's coastal management study. A rock berm has been identified with the community as the preferred medium-term solution to help reduce the rate of erosion and give Hemsby extra time to adapt to coastal change in the longer term. Following the required environmental screening and scoping exercises completed earlier this year, I'm pleased to report that the council is now finalising procurement of a technical consultant, which will work with the in-house engineers to design and outline a rock berm scheme for planning submission, as well as identify potential costs and options for funding. This stage of work is programmed to be completed in winter 2020 to 2021. However, she added that there were still hurdles to clear to do with planning permission, funding and consultations. Only if a scheme is found to be technically, ecologically and financially viable, as well as acceptable to the community as a whole, could any application be made for government funding. All engineering options are costly and would require significant contributions from a range of partners, she said. And the next one is also from Hemsby, I believe. But this time, a seaside village, Hemsby in fact, is calling on people not to align themselves with a bid to boycott its attractions, declaring it welcomes tourists with open arms. As lockdown has eased and people have been allowed back to their holiday homes and on caravan parks, a Facebook group called Boycott Hemsby says it aims to warn locals about their behaviour in response to some residents' reported hostility and rudeness towards visitors. The group has some 90 members, many of whom disagree with the cold shoulder claims, saying Hemsby very much welcomes visitors. James Bensley, who owns a cafe and attractions in the village and whose borough council ward includes the area, said he was heartbroken when he found out about the request to spurn the village a second home for generations of happy holidaymakers as if this season has not been hard enough he said we now have this challenge hemsby has gone above and beyond in terms of safety and we had some excellent feedback over the weekend from visitors about how safe they felt it is an already hard year and if we can sit down and have a discussion and diffuse this That would be great. We have to nip it in the bud. This is a global pandemic, but Hemsby might be the only resort with a campaign to boycott it, and it is totally undeserved. I understand people are anxious, but I cannot see anything positive in a social media account like this for anyone. They've probably been coming for years and have taken offence at a comment made at the height of lockdown. If people do not feel welcome because of one comment, please do not deny yourself. We welcome you with open arms. Lorna Bevan, at the Lake-on-Arms, said of the page, I disregard it totally. It is just not the truth. The more you answer them, the more they grow. Everyone here is open, and people have gone to great expense to do it. It's just so wrong to make people feel unwelcome, no one has the right to a town or a village we are lucky to live here why shouldn't we share it the organizers of the facebook group were contacted for comment but no response has been received so far kites three decades ago the red kite was extinct in england but this majestic bird has made a triumphant comeback to norfolk's skies thanks to a radical reintroduction scheme. Environmentalists are celebrating the 30th anniversary of a pioneering project which has been described as one of the biggest success stories in UK conservation history. The red kite, a large bird of prey that largely feeds on carrion and worms and cuts a distinctive silhouette with wingtips that look like splayed fingers, and a forked tail was a common city scavenger in medieval London but the birds' fortunes declined in the face of persecution and egg collecting and by the 20th century they were extinct in both England and Scotland with only a small population clinging on in Wales. So in July 1990 13 young red kites were brought from Spain and released in the Chilterns area of outstanding national beauty on the border of Buckinghamshire and Oxfordshire. Across the UK, thousands of these majestic birds can now be seen soaring over countryside, roads and towns, including in Norfolk, which is estimated to be home to more than 100 individuals and 10 to 12 breeding pairs. Amongst other places in Norfolk, they're regularly seen at the RSPB Strumpshaw Fen Nature Reserve on the River Yare east of Norwich, on Winston Dunes near Great Yarmouth, and the parklands surrounding the UEA Broad at the University of East Anglia. Bob Morgan, a reserves officer for Norfolk Wildlife Trust, said the birds took a while to venture away from the New Heartlands partly because they prefer the company of other red kites while searching for food. They like to be near each other, red kites, because they're scavengers, so one bird will indicate to another where there might be carrion or a sheep carcass, he said. That is one of the reasons we've been having difficulty breaking out from Oxfordshire and Buckinghamshire. Ten years ago, even five years ago, there were hardly any here in Norfolk but younger birds tend to stray off and look for new places and they can be seen fairly regularly in Norfolk now. Locally, there is some perfect habitat as there is a mixture of open ground, grazing marshes, woodlands and livestock. They need tall, undisturbed trees to nest in and they like open country to hunt in and look for carrion. They often hunt during the day as they like to catch the thermals and you can often see them over roads looking for roadkill. They are distinctive looking. Once you see one in the air, they're very obvious with that forked tail and rusty red plumage. It's a sight that stays with you. Jeff Knott, RSPB Operations Director for Eastern England, said in the 1980s anyone wanting to see a red kite had to make a special pilgrimage to a handful of sites. Today it is a daily site for millions of people. In a few short decades, we have taken a species from the brink of extinction to the UK being home to almost 10% of the entire world population. It might be the biggest species success story in UK conservation history. The reintroduction scheme was a collaboration between the Nature Conservancy Council, now Natural England, RSPB, Joint Nature Conservation Committee, JNCC, Zoological Society London and British Airways. Natural England chairman Tony Juniper said, Red kites are one of our most majestic birds of prey with a beautiful plumage and are easily recognisable thanks to their soaring flight and mewing call. Persecuted to near extinction, they've made a triumphant comeback in England over the past three decades, thanks to this pioneering reintroduction programme in the Chilterns. Increased legal protection and collaboration amongst partners, the Red Kite stands out as a true conservation success story. Well, that's a feel-good factor story, isn't it? And now on to a lifeboat story. Lifeboat called to inflatable blowing away with person clinging to it. An inflatable that was blown out to sea with someone believed to be clinging to it sparked a lifeboat call. Hemsby Lifeboat was called out on Saturday lunchtime, July the 18th, following reports of an inflatable being blown out to sea off Winterton with a person clinging to it. With Hemsby inshore lifeboat launched to the area off Winterton where the inflatable had last been seen, a post on the Hemsby lifeboat Facebook page said the crew were able to quickly identify the inflatable and recover it to the boat. There were no signs of any individual with the toy and after a search of the area it was confirmed that the person was safe and well on the shoreline. With a Magitus Coast Guard rescue officers from Winston also in attendance, the inland lifeboat returned to the Hemsby Gap for recovery. The inshore lifeboat, I beg your pardon. A spokesman warned, with our local sea conditions, it is all too easy to be blown out to sea when playing with inflatables. Our advice is to tether the toy to the beach to prevent it from being blown out to sea. Stay safe and enjoy our coastline. A remote broad pub's hopes of reopening as a bistro have been dashed despite last ditch attempts to reach compromises with objectors. Olive Court Properties Limited had applied to Broadland District Council for a premises licence to reopen part of the Burney Arms believed to be Norfolk's most remote pub, as a bistro. The vision for the former pub would have seen it serving breakfasts, meals and drinks to boat users and walkers, and hosting occasional events, including boat regattas and live music. However, after concerns were raised about noise disruption from the RSPB, and further objections from the Broads' authority, the application was refused. At a licensing committee held remotely on Wednesday, David Tarry, on behalf of the pub's owners, had pitched a number of compromises in hopes of persuading the committee to grant the application. These included pledging that no live music would be held outdoors beyond 10pm, That alcohol would not be sold until 11 a.m. and pulling in the proposed opening hours. He said, the Bernie Arms has had a very long history and has been shut as a pub for five years. An application was made to turn it into a house but the owners were told it had to stay a pub. The idea For it to be almost a halfway house for boat users and walkers, somewhere to stop and have a drink or a meal and relax. Most of the concerns raised were around noise levels. However, Nettie Southgate, who had been due to run the venue, said, it is going to be a bistro, not a nightclub. Committee chairman Sheila Gurney said that offering last-minute amendments showed a lack of advanced planning from the applicants. She said, we note the site is unusual in terms of physical location and condition, being largely an open area next to a fast flowing tidal river. It is the obligation of the applicant to demonstrate they've taken account of the site and necessary measures. Unfortunately, we feel There has been significant failure to provide the necessary data we need to be confident regarding noise concerns and health and safety. The significant last-minute amendment of the application concerns the committee as it shows a lack of advanced planning. article by Helen McDermott that appeared in the EDP on Monday of this week Who's that knocking on the door? Why Avon ladies are making a comeback And there's a lovely picture of a smiling lady who is apparently called Brenda Bishop says Norfolk Avon lady Brenda Bishop who retired in 2011 after 50 years working for the brand I didn't think they'd gone away completely, but apparently, according to Helen, they're making a comeback. Ding dong! Avon calling! Do you remember them? The smiling, cheerful ladies who brought their wares to your doorstep? If you do, then you might welcome the news that she's making a comeback, beaming through the doom and gloom of Covid-19 and the lockdown. The word is that requests to take on the Avon franchise have rocketed lately as more and more ladies, and possibly even men, are hoping to have a chance of tempting us to open our doors and let them in to show us the latest in makeup. Apparently there were a few Avon men who rang our doorbells with a case full of paints and powders, but the only callers I remember were smartly dressed, immaculately groomed ladies who thrilled Mum with their tempting boxes of delight. I was only a little girl then, but I did love looking at the lipstick colours and hearing Mum go, ooh and "ah" as she tried them on in front of the mirror. Avon ladies were a familiar sight in those days, always welcome at our house. But as time went on, the brand gradually drifted out of fashion. Shops in the high street began to stock exotic sounding and lush makeup brands that you could sample on a day out doing all your other shopping. We heard the ding dong less and less often, and eventually not at all. Avon had its beginnings in 19th century America when a door to door bookseller called David McConnell had a brainwave coming up with something virtually unheard of. It was to give the American woman the chance to gain financial independence by running a business of her own. The first woman to set out to sell the Avon brand was Persis Foster Eames Albee. That was in 1885. By all accounts, she was a shrewd businesswoman, brave enough to dare going and knocking on doors. Her efforts were very successful. The Avon brand was born. The name Avon was taken from the river in Stratford, the birthplace of the Bard. McConnell was a frequent visitor. Avon flourished for years until the swinging sixties, when Mary Quant, Bieber and Estee Lauder came on the scene, becoming household names. Avon began to be seen as a poor relation. We trendy young things thought Avon was mumsy stuff. We wanted new, cool casings and colours. Being seen pulling Avon out of your makeup bag would be very unhip. While Avon actually didn't die, it just became subdued and quiet. Many women went on from selling the brand, using their experience to succeed in all sorts of professions. As one former Avon lady said in the 1960s, going out and selling, making money, promoted female empowerment even though her mum didn't exactly approve emerging from lockdown to venture back into the stores i have to say the makeup counters are a bit of a bare and sorry sight the assistants the ladies and the gentlemen are well masked up and apologetic that you can't actually see what the makeup might look like on you They can't even spray you yet with a sample of the latest perfume. Oh well, time to make for a coffee and an award-winning scone with my lovely friend Judy. We had to admit that we rather enjoyed the fact that we could gossip with so much more space around us. Good from our point of view, but we suspected not from the restaurant. We talked about the old days at Anglia when Judy had the job of managing the Miss Anglia girls on tours of the region during the 60s, when the Miss Anglia shows were hugely popular. But not with everybody. Judy recalls the angry mobs who saw the shows as a cattle market and demeaning to women. At one audition, there were so many protesters that Judy and the Miss Anglia hopefuls had to barricade themselves into the room. None of the contestants saw the show as demeaning. Like the Avon ladies, they saw it as empowering. A lot went on to make a good living. According to Judy, none of them, whether they won or not, ever regretted taking part. Miss Anglia came to an end in the early 80s. Time was up for such shows. Quite right too, some would say. But in these troubled times, there's not a lot wrong with a touch of paint and facial pampering to help you feel a bit better about yourself, is there? Welcome back, Avon. Welcome home. Ding-dong!
0: Ah, memories, memories. Last part of the news now, before we all go ding-dong and start on the Avon lady jokes, most of which we couldn't possibly use on Grapevine, at least, not the ones I know. Here's news three.
1: Dentists now. Only call if you're in agony. There's a huge patient backlog at Norfolk Dentists. People have been told to call a dentist only when in agony, as a huge backlog builds and Norfolk Surgeries books are closed to new NHS patients in the wake of coronavirus. Capacity has plummeted since they reopened for urgent care on June 8th, with practices seeing a drastically reduced number of people from pre-lockdown levels. All but a small number of Norfolk dentists have closed their books after they were given permission to return to work. While some practices are now phasing in routine appointments to get through the backlog of work, these will be unavailable to new NHS patients who were not part of the surgery before coronavirus hit. According to the Norfolk Health Watch Group, anybody in pain, registered or not, can access urgent care. But of Norfolk dentists listed on the NHS website, only two have now updated their information to say they are taking on new NHS patients. The rest are only taking on private patients or NHS patients arriving through referral. Alex Stewart from Norfolk Health Watch says, "We are aware that this may cause issues down the line if people aren't able to access regular checkups but we have to understand that dentists' capacity for treating patients has halved We've been contacted by many people who had not joined a dentist before lockdown now worried about when they'll be able to get a checkup." He added, Norfolk in particular has a problem with access to dental care, with just one new surgery opening last year. And now it will take even longer for people to get routine appointments. But if it's an emergency, you will be seen by a dentist at one of ten urgent care centres across Norfolk. The advice is to call a dentist or 111 only when you're in agony. Stoles, secretary of the Norfolk local dental committee said registering with a dentist was not the same as a doctor he said patients don't have an automatic right of entry to a practice the treatment each dentist is offering depends on individual circumstances and even if they are not taking on new patients many will accept a referral from another dentist for a person requiring urgent care Josie Fitzgerald from Great Yarmouth said she and her husband were due for a routine checkup at their dentist during lockdown. She said we received an automated message saying they were only doing emergencies and checkups were on hold. Both of us have said we don't mind missing out on one, but we wouldn't want to leave it much longer. A retiring head teacher is amazed at the garden restored in her honour. A retiring headteacher at a Great Yarmouth school has expressed her gratitude and surprise after staff restored a garden in her honour. Lindsay Hanger, 61, has retired after 10 years at Northgate Primary School and to mark the occasion and provide a haven for children returning to school after the lockdown, staff and their families worked together to restore the school's sensory garden. The project had been kept top secret from Mrs Hanger, who said, I feel very honoured and surprised, and I'm grateful for having worked with such lovely people at Northgate. Sarah Young, assistant headteacher, said, It's been a real team effort, with staff and various family members pulling together to lend a hand. She added that the school is very grateful to donations of plants from Moulton Nurseries near Acre and B&Q. Speaking on the day of her retirement on July 22nd, Mrs Hanger said, It doesn't really feel that different yet. It will hit me when I don't come back in September. She started her career in education 35 years ago in Gravesend in Kent before moving to Suffolk in 1994, where she taught in Beckles for 17 years. Moving to Northgate was the best thing she ever did, she said. It's the best school in Great Yarmouth. Everybody here works together. It has been the best 10 years of my life, she added. Her best memories are of the school becoming a full primary and when it got an extension Retiring in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic has been strange, she said. It's possibly the worst scenario you could end a 35-year career on. The worst bit of last year has been not being able to do proper goodbyes with the children. Among the challenges she had faced at the school was the level of pupil poverty. There are a lot of children who really have quite difficult lives, she said. Mrs Hanger said she will miss being in control. That's going to be hard, not to be coming back, being the person driving it all forward, she said. Not that she's left education entirely. Northgate Primary is joining the Waveney Valley Academy and Mrs Hanger has been appointed to its Board of Trustees. She also expressed her best wishes. To new head teacher Michael Collins Locks of Nelson's Hair to go under the hammer in Norfolk Two extremely rare locks of Norfolk hero Vice Admiral Horatio Nelson's hair will go under the hammer next week. They are part of the Nelson collection amassed by the late Ron Fisk of Morningthorpe Hall in South Norfolk. Who was inaugural member of the Nelson Society and its chairman for nine years? Other related items going under the hammer at Key's Auctioneers and Valuers in Aylesham as part of its two-day summer fine sale on Wednesday, July the 29th, and Thursday, July the 30th, include medals from campaigns when Nelson led the fleet, rare contemporary porcelain including a cup and saucer, which may have belonged to the Admiral, pictures and books. More than 100 items from the Fisk collection are up for auction at the sale, with the highlights including two paper packets containing locks of Nelson's hair. The first packet inscribed in ink, the hair of Horatio Lord Nelson, given to me by Horatio on the 22nd of May, 1818. And the second, the great Lord Nelson hair cut off when he left off tying his hair. The pre-sale estimate is 2,000 to 3,000 pounds. Wow. David Broome of Keyes said, despite some recent controversy, interest in Nelson remains very high. He was perhaps Norfolk's most famous son so it's appropriate that these items are going under the hammer in his home county. But we expect interest from throughout the UK and overseas. The Lord Nelson statue in the grounds of Norwich Cathedral was recently targeted in two graffiti attacks and has been fenced off by contractors. Nelson was born in Burnham Thorpe. My job is on the line. Working mothers are concerned about the impact of school's new timetable. A working mother concerned about the impact of coronavirus on the timetable at her daughter's school fears she is being forced to choose between her job and picking her child up after class. Demi Hollis from Galston says she and her husband rely on the breakfast and after-school clubs at Ormiston Cliff Park Junior Academy, where their nine-year-old daughter studies, to allow them to go to work. The school has told parents the clubs will not be immediately available and that the situation will be reviewed throughout September, while staggered start and finish times mean Miss Hollis's daughter, who is in Year 5, will begin school later every day At 8.50 and leave earlier at 2.25. Miss Hollis, a quality control manager at an engineering company, says the changes mean she could lose up to 80 working hours a month and this is putting her job on the line. I do not think it's acceptable. I'm being forced to pick between having a job and a career or picking up my child from school, she said. If the school feels my daughter's health is being put at risk by going into an after-school and breakfast clubs, she should not be in school because she's already at school mixing with teachers and mixing with children, she said. Another parent who works as a cleaner and did not wish to be named said, It feels like we're being penalised for working. I know the school is only trying to do what's best but it feels like working parents haven't had a chance to have their say. A spokesman for Ormiston Junior Academy has said the school is implementing social bubbles and staggered school days to reduce the risk of transmission. To safeguard our pupils and staff, we are following a deliberately staged approach to our school return, which will mean that extended provision, such as breakfast clubs, will not be immediately available. This is something we're really sad about as we absolutely recognise how important extended provision is for many families. So we will be reviewing this on an ongoing basis in September so that we can offer this additional provision as soon as it's safe and possible to do so. We completely understand and appreciate that this is a very challenging time for parents and carers, And we've been very grateful for all the support we have received from families both during the home learning period and in response to our plans to reopen for all pupils in September, the school said. Yes, it really is a very tricky piece of uh, working things out between the schools and the places of work and the parents. More about children? The safety of children is paramount, affects a decision made over the popular seafront splash pad. Despite the latest lockdown easing, the seaside splash pad at Galston will remain off-limits this summer. Great Yarmouth Borough Council has confirmed that while outdoor pools and play areas are allowed to reopen, the splash pad on the lower prom will not be firing up its fountains and tipping buckets this year. A statement said, with outdoor water parks now allowed to reopen, we have reviewed what is possible and practical with respect to the splash pad, taking into consideration the latest government advice about social distancing and COVID safe operations. The safety of the children and parents who would be using the splash pad is paramount and therefore this decision has been made the facility to remain closed for this summer. The £300,000 free-to-use attraction opened in August 2018, replacing a 1960s built paddling pool that was deemed to have had its day. It proved a huge hit with families looking to cool off during the heatwave. And finally, Mobile coronavirus testing visiting town next week. Mobile coronavirus testing stations are continuing to visit towns across Norfolk and Waverney next week. The testing centres mobilised by the Ministry of Defence will run alongside permanent testing centres in Norwich and for essential workers at the James Paget University Hospital, Great Yarmouth, nr one en on Sunday, July the 19th, Thursday, July the 23rd, and Sunday, July the 26th. Who is eligible for this testing? In England, anyone showing coronavirus symptoms, including fever, a persistent cough, and losing senses of taste and smell is eligible for testing. Tests can be booked for yourself or any member of your household. All tests must be booked. There are no walk-in or drive-in appointments. After booking a test, you will be encouraged to alert those who have had close contact with, and those in your household should start a period of self-isolation for 14 days since symptoms began. How do you book a test? Tests can be booked via the government's online portal or by calling the new dedicated 119 number. Essential workers can also book for priority testing alongside those working in care homes, including asymptomatic carers. Government guidance states tests need to be carried out within the first five days of symptoms appearing in order to be the most effective.
0: Well, that's just about it for another edition of Grapevine. Just time to inform you that Grapevine, Volume 40... Number 30 is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The content, in the main, is adapted from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. From Desney and myself, it's Bye For Now... Andrew will be back with us next week when we hope that you will give us the pleasure of your company once again. In the meantime, have a good week and keep well and safe. Bye for now.